Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, Matt, I'm going to tell you a joke. Make it good. All right, so a man's calling Domino's. Pizza shop, yep. Yeah, okay. Try not to interrupt when I tell a joke. He says, can I have a pizza with liver and onions, please? And the guy on the other end of the phone says, we don't do liver. And the man, perplexed, holds the phone, says to his wife, I thought you said they they do the liver. And the wife said, I said they do deliver. And he said, no, not according to this guy. (laughs) Classic. Matt, welcome to another episode of us. Doing a podcast doing on something. Doing jokes. <laughs> Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. I am your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic, and I'm joined by another host, Dr. Matt oh. Barton. Uh, we together are senior lecturers of anatomy and physiology at a university, an unnamed <laughs> university out there in the ether. And no, Griffith University in Australia. Queensland. Queensland specifically. Matt's Gold Coast. I'm Nathan Campus. I'm not going to give you my exact location at this very moment. We are talking about the liver. We've already done an episode. We've we've done liver. But we're going to do something more specific to the liver. We're going to test the liver out. We're going to run some liver tests. I tried to get there, but that was quite pathetic. Um, We're going to look at liver function tests. Brilliant. Which I'm sure everybody's heard about. Well, we spoke about in our last podcast that we were going to which everyone's obviously yeah, listened of course, to of course so i'm actually proud of you michael that oh we've fulfilled our um promise which was that we would actually do this podcast ah, was that a but promise i made or you, you made no you made it you made because our last podcast was on um, billy rubin oh Jaw- that's right billy rubin and we yep. said we will come a- come back to the liver enzymes and usually when we make a promise we never come back i think we're still <laughs> Waiting to do many other ones that we've said. Oh, I'm sure there's a bunch. I'm sure, and we, I get emails every week saying, hey, you should do this. And some of them are great ideas and some of them are very specific. Assignments. And I, I sort of think that they're either students' assignments or it's a disease or disorder that somebody's experiencing at that moment uh, that's very specific to them. Um, and we're going to do episodes that probably are more broadly Broad. – 
uh, relatable and relevant to everybody out there. But that doesn't mean don't send me an email. Feel free, gubiosciences at gmail.com or drmiketodorovich at gmail.com. You can pop me an email and you can say, hey, Dr. Mike, you're the best ever. Um, Just as an aside, do an episode on this. And that'll be awesome. All right, we're going to do liver function tests today. Now, we probably should call it liver biochemical tests or... Or chemistries, liver chemistry. Yeah, or liver chemistries because many of the tests that we're going to talk about don't actually measure function, right? Mm. Some do, but many don't. And what you'll find is that the whole purpose of doing these tests is it gives us the ability to identify liver disease, distinguish among types of liver disorders. We can gauge the severity and progression of some sort of liver dysfunction. And we can even monitor response to certain therapies like drug therapies, for example, by doing this range of tests. Yeah, yeah. But there are limitations to these tests because they can't accurately assess the liver's total function or total functional capacity because the liver performs thousands of biochemical functions. The liver's far more useful than you, for example. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you, it's a compliment. Good, 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 good. Now, I'm going to outline the main tests, the main battery tests performed, and maybe you could provide the listeners with some context to some of these. At the end or Um, as you go? Yeah, uh, Wherever you, you know what, Matt? I feel generous today. Okay. Wherever you Could deem. You yell at me fit. when I do this. That's because you're pathetic. You're a pathetic loser, and everyone knows this. Your mother calls me and tells me all the time. Now, the standard battery. She's of- the only, only listener. <laughs> hey, Betty. All right. The, st- <laughs> the standard battery of tests performed include conjugated bilirubin, also termed direct bilirubin. We'll talk about that. Albumin prothrombin time, and a range of serum or blood enzymes. These include ALT and AST, also known as aminotransferases or transaminases, alkaline phosphate, also known as ALP. Or ALKFOS. Or ALKFOS if you're a cool kid. Uh, GGT or GGTP. And five prime nucleotidase, I always bugger that word up, known as 5NT. I haven't come across that one. It's very similar to GGTP. Okay. So these are the standard tests that would perform looking at liver function. Um, is there a way that you think we could classify them broadly? Yeah, I think there's maybe a slightly easy way to do it. So um, like you said, the liver function tests aren't necessarily measuring what the liver is doing from that panel of tests slash enzymes. But what you could probably think about is some of the some of the panel have to do with the liver's function. Mm. So you spoke about albumin. Yes. So that is a protein that's found in your blood, plasma, and it's the most abundant protein in your blood, correct? Hoping that's true. Um, Albumin. Yeah, as Uh, a a plasma protein, it's the most abundant. Yes. And that's only made in the liver. Yeah. Okay, so if it's low, it could be suggestive that there's a problem with the liver because it's not making it. Sure. Okay, so that's a function of the liver. That would be one. So that could be a functional output. Yeah. Another one would be that prothrombin time, which is to do with clotting proteins. And again, all those clotting proteins are pretty much made in the liver. So if you had an extended clotting time, it could be that the liver's not producing enough clotting proteins. Yeah. yeah. And the other one is 
the bilirubin. We know that bilirubin isn't made in the liver, but it needs to be conjugated in the liver. So if the liver, again, isn't doing its job, we could have a problem with its conjugation. Yeah, so the liver th- handles it in, yeah. a, in a way. So those three that I just mentioned, albumin, clotting proteins, bilirubin conjugation, yeah. does have to do with the liver's function. Yeah. Okay? But the other ones, which are all the enzymes. But it's not specific to the type of function necessarily no. that's been altered. That's right. Yeah. But the others, you've got AST, ALT, ALKFOS, GGT or GGTP, they're enzymes. And I I think it's they're released when the liver's not well. Yeah, I always think about it like spilling your guts, right? It's if the liver's (laughs) damaged, right? You could think about it as though, you know, someone's stabbed you in the guts and you're spilling everything out. Okay. That is sort of what's happening with the liver when it's damaged. Maybe it's think of it like this because it's, it's less graphic. Um, when I think a person, was good and I think it captures it quite well. When a person has a heart attack, yeah. th- their heart muscle has now died and it spills out enzymes that are found within the muscle of the heart. Yeah, and you much can, the same analogy. <laughs> you can pick up these cardiac enzymes from a heart attack that yeah. tells you, oh, no, there's probably something wrong with the heart. It doesn't tell you how well the heart's working yes. but tells you – could be a problem. Similar with these, if the enzymes start to go up, there's a maybe a suggestion that the liver's inflamed, damaged, yeah, or annoyed. Yeah, let's talk a little bit just about liver function broadly, right? So I think some things that people need to keep in mind when we talk about liver function tests is that one, look, the liver's a pretty pathetic organ to look at, but it's amazing when it comes to what it can do, and the like function like your colleague, yeah, like Matt. <laughs> Uh, mm, pathetic to look at, pretty amazing in regards to function. Right. That will do, keep going. Okay, sorry. Um, you just threw me then. The functional unit of the liver is the hepatocyte, which is the cell, and it does all this stuff, right? So the hepatocyte can uh, store nutrients, store glucose in the form of glycogen. You're going to go through the fat. No, 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 I'm just giving you a bit of an example. It can synthesize bile, um, it can f- filter the blood that's coming through and so it can store stuff. It does a whole bunch of stuff. And people should be aware that these hepatocytes, uh, they've got various walls and membranes and sides to them. So you can have the bile side where it produces bile salts and bile components and then drops it off in the bile. It's even got a lymph region, so it produces lymph and chucks it over there. And then it's got the blood vessel side that it can produce and throw things into as well. So that needs to be kept in mind because when the liver and the is damaged, the hepatocytes are damaged and then things can be spilt into various pipes and tubes. Okay. So just I think it's important just to keep that in mind. But I think the very first place that we should start is just go through them one by one and talk about them individually, what they do, their importance, uh, and then we can sort of bring the whole picture together. What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. Can I just add one point? Sure. And, and you did say it, but I just wanted to make it a uh, bit... You didn't on, think I said it well enough. Uh, you, did it, you said it really quick. Okay. Um, just to Say it very slowly though. <laughs> a couple of indications why tests may be ordered. I know you did say it, but I just want to just expand on it slightly. Yeah. So um, it could be ordered if there is suggestion that the liver could not be doing what it is currently or should be doing. So this could be if a patient has presented with jaundice. Which is? Uh, yellowing. <laughs> yellowing or what? Um, skin, mucous membrane, sclera. Okay. Go cut last week's episode oh, on jaundice. Good idea. But so if a patient comes in yellow... Um, if it's not from excessive carrots. Or from listening to Coldplay. 
Uh, it may warrant to go and do some LFTs. Yeah. Okay. If they've got a history. Liver function tests. Yep. If they've had a history of possible hepatocellular poisoning. So a big one, the most common toxin or poison that could damage your liver. Your breath. Is paracetamol. Oh, par- is it? Yeah. Like I say, alcohol. Well, that would be long term. But okay. in terms of like. Acute damage. Yeah. Really, paracetamol. paracetamol. It's very hepatotoxic. Is it amazing? But something so amount, innocuous, though. something that we take all the time, uh, is a paracetamol, or big cause also known as acetaminophen. Acetaminophen. Or no, that that'll do. Um, I was going to say the brand name, but I shouldn't. The what? The brand name. No, don't no. worry about that. So let's not get sued today, Matthew. Yeah. So we've got um, possible things that could poison the liver. Yes. As a reason. Um, next one, you're right. Uh, history of heavy alcohol use, you yeah. may just want to check out your liver function test to see if there's any issues. Um, maybe you've got a family history of hemochromatosis. Hemochromatosis. Yeah, so that's a, a wow. uh, iron processing disease. Okay. So maybe if your parents had it or grandparents. The- and what about the, the disorder that runs in your family, which is halotosis? What's that? Oh, bad breath. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so um, too much, if you can't excrete or if you have problems with the way that iron is stored, it can cause toxic effects to the liver. So Mm. you would want to maintain these tests to just ensure that it's been monitored well. All right. Okay. Another one is just ascites, which is a big full belly or abdomen full of fluid that right. would suggest. So it's not full of food. It's no. not just after a meal. It is actually Within the present- cavity, yeah. Okay. And this is fluid that's happening because there's, the liver is damaged. Could be the liver. Could be a number of other things, but okay. yeah, that's. But so it's fluid buildup, excess fluid building up in the peritoneum. Yep. So the reason for me mentioning all these, this is just indications that the liver could have some problems. Let's just go and check it out. All right. Some other things, just why you do it LFTs is you may be at a high risk uh, population group of liver causing diseases, infections. Okay. So yeah. maybe you were exposed to someone who's got hepatitis. Oh yeah, A to E viral. You want to? Yep. You want to screen for that. Um, patients that have used illicit drugs because that's yep. a high risk of um, getting certain bloodborne infections through needle yep. sharing. Yeah. So it's not the drugs per se. It's, no, it's yep. the sharing. Um, and also. Um, Transfusions, maybe blood transfusions, that's a risk of getting, again, blood infections, which Mm. could impact the liver. And then finally, there could be things outside the liver that could directly then impact the liver, like cancer. You know, it's a very, because it gets so much blood, it's a very common location for secondaries. So so if you start to get a lot of cancer in your liver, you would expect these uh, tests to become maybe deranged. And what about like the pipes associated with the liver? like the biliary ducts and so forth. Yep. But, but yeah, so maybe if the, the patient has this kind of pain associated with where the liver is, yeah. it would maybe warrant to doing tests. So can I say, so that's great. So you listed a whole bunch of different uh, diseases and disorders that would warrant further LF, investigation, further investigation yeah. LFTs. Do the LFTs tell you which one of these things might be happening? I think it would just start to put you down, inductively start to put you down a, a path. So maybe the LFTs could be looked at as hypothesized generating. So you yeah. 
they come up out of range and then you kind of have suspicions. Well, it so it can be. narrow your view a little yeah. bit. And then it you can start lead you to, down a different so path. So then you might go, oh, we need to scan the liver to see if there's a blockage or we may have to do a biopsy or we yeah. may have to do something else to see what could be causing this issue. Yeah, yeah it may not be the liver. That's right. And then finally, it's just if before you put a patient onto medication that could cause liver disease, you may want a baseline to see what the liver's currently at before you... Yes. Get it going. And that's important because some of these liver function tests also change with age and with sex okay. as well. And I mean male to female, not whether you've had it or not. All right. So which so yours would be very low. So Billy Rubin should be the first one we should have a look at. Okay. Don't you think? Yep. All right. So Billy Rubin is a breakdown product of heme. Now we spoke about it last week, so let's not be extensive here, Matt. Let's just not go overboard like you usually do. But I'll give a quick run through of Billy Rubin metabolism. A to Z. The A to Z of Billy Rubin. Of Billy Rubin metabolism. So remember, it's a breakdown product of heme. We make around about four milligrams per kilo of body weight per day. Most of the bilirubin that we make is from hemoglobin, but there are other globins like myoglobin, right? Now, once a red blood cell has lived its wonderful life to completion, it will be destroyed by a certain type, a group of cells called reticular or a system called the reticular endothelial system, which contain macrophages, right? Big eaters. And they're found in the spleen, the liver, the bone marrow, and they'll start to gobble up these red blood cells. Byproducts of... They, blood cell corpses. Yeah, so they, they split it apart. You've got the heme that's there and it takes that heme and it turns the heme into biliverdin. That biliverdin is then turned into bilirubin. Now, this bilirubin is lipid-soluble, so it hates water, right? So in order for it to be transported through the bloodstream, it needs to be more water-soluble, so it binds to albumin. Where's that come from, Michael? Albumin is the uh, liver limo, which I think I said last episode. I like to call it the liver limo because like you stated, it's producing liver and it transports stuff. So now you've got bilirubin bound to albumin. This is termed unconjugated bilirubin. Yeah. And the albumin takes it to the liver. Super super tight relationship. Yeah, like you strong, and me. Strong, strong relationship. Yeah, like you and me. And so it's important just to, I'm just going to put a footnote here. Okay. Um, at this point, you can't pee this out. Right, just like it, you and me. It can't be urinated out in this form, this, this conjugate, the unconjugated bilirubin. So that's important. Because albumin doesn't get filtered at the glomerulus. Yeah. So that's just important to say. So if you do have high levels of bilirubin in your blood, mm. you can't urinate out the unconjugated form. There you go. Onward and upward. <laughs> so this unconjugated bilirubin bound to the albumin gets tossed into the liver. The albumin jumps away and goes to pick up another passenger while the unconjugated bilirubin in the liver, what it's doing is becoming conjugated. So it gets thrown in the hepatocyte. Yes, and the hepatocyte, with the help of an important enzyme called UDP glucuronosyl transferase, what was it, Matt? I'm glad you said it. You want to say it? No. Okay, UDP glucuronosyl transferase, it will snap on glucuronic acids to the unconjugated bilirubin to produce conjugated or water-soluble bilirubin. And this conjugated bilirubin is passed. Can I just say one point here? You can say anything you want. At this point, this would, doesn't mean it's important. <laughs> at this point, it would now be known as direct bilirubin. Yes, conjugated is direct, and we'll we'll, well talk you get more. To that. Yeah, keep going. That's a good point. A great story. <laughs> <laughs> now, the conjugated bilirubin is passed into the bile, and that bile is squirted into the small intestines. And by the time it reaches the end of the small intestines and the beginning of the large intestines or the colon. 
the bacteria that's present will transform it into urobilinogen. Now that urobilinogen has a number of different pathways. So it can turn into urobilin, which then gets pooed out, and that's why our poo is brown because of the colour of urobilin. Or that urobilinogen can go to the kidneys and but, but to do that, it needs to get reabsorbed. Yes. So it will be reabsorbed into the liver via the portal circulation. Yeah. And then through a second pass, it can go to the kidneys and be peed out as... Euro. Euro what? Bilinogen. No, it's not eurobilinogen. Yeah. Because Isn't then it? when it gets oxidized, it's eurobilin. Because that's, that's going to be a kidney function test is eurobilinogen. Okay. Maybe, maybe I pronounced it slightly incorrectly, but that's... That's yeah. likely. So anyway, that is bilirubin metabolism. And so a couple of important points is pre-liver, unconjugated. In the liver, becomes conjugated. Post-liver, conjugated. And remember, post-liver includes a, a transient little pathway through the bile ducts yeah. um, and also through the bowel itself yeah. and out in the poo and also through the kidneys. Yeah, so just for that kidney part, because the bacteria is modifying some of it, which then actually allows it to be reabsorbed, that gets put back in the portal system, as you said. Yeah. But then that yeah. that gets then re... Uh, not recycled. Well, it kind of get, becomes recycled, but gets reabsorbed by the hepatocyte and this just keeps going in this loop cycle. That's right. But some of it will get put into the systemic blood and then that can be urinated out, which I think is approximately something like 5% yeah. of the... Yep. T- Total everything. But that's ultimately the take-home point for the kidneys excretion is it? it's in a conjugated form. All right, so that's just pretty much a wrap-up of last episode. So when we look at measuring the bilirubin for an LFT, well, the terms direct and indirect come into play here. So in an LFT, they'll look at direct bilirubin and total bilirubin yeah. and sometimes may refer to indirect bilirubin. So... These terms come from the actual method of analysis for the LFT called the Vandenberg reaction, also known as the diazo method because of they use this diazotized sulfonylic acid to do the – who cares? So now the conjugated bilirubin is termed direct bilirubin because when it reacts with the reagents, it happens super quickly and directly within 30 to 60 seconds. So it's called direct bilirubin. The total bilirubin actually takes like 30 to 60 minutes. So it takes a lot longer and that's after adding other reagents to it. The unconjugated bilirubin is called indirect because you indirectly measure it by taking what you've found with the total bilirubin and then minusing the direct bilirubin and you get what's left indirect bilirubin, which is unconjugated. So that's why it's called indirect because you're indirectly having a measure of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... Using this diazo method to measure bilirubin, the normal normal serum bilirubin is around about 1 to 1.5 milligrams per deciliter. And the most frequently reported upper limit for this conjugated or direct bilirubin is around about 0.3 milligrams per deciliter. So even if you've got this mild increase of conjugated bilirubin in the serum, you should start thinking about the possibility of liver injury. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah, so... In terms of the, the the amount of bilirubin, it's just an indication. If it if it's high, it's just giving you a, a, an indication that there's something in that system that we just explained mm. that has gone wrong or not working as well. So, um, do you want me to 
Should we talk about the different spots where there could be an issue or we leave it there and come back to it? Well, I think a couple of points is that um, the measurement and fractionation, so when I say fractionation, I mean determining of total bilirubin what's direct and what's indirect. Um, in patients with jaundice specifically, it doesn't allow you to differentiate between hepatocellular, so whether the liver is injured itself or if it's some obstruction in the biliary system, yeah, right. what we call cholestatic jaundice. But generally, high serum bilirubin is a good marker for liver injury and also a good marker for outcome as well. So the higher the bilirubin, the worse the prognosis for the liver injury. Because it's a, it's a function of the liver. Yes, but in saying that, the absence of bilirubin doesn't mean there is no liver injury. Yeah, okay. And that's another important point. So just to highlight that again, elevated bilirubin is a good indicator for liver injury, but just because there's no, just because the bilirubin isn't high doesn't mean there's no liver injury occurring. So how would we break all this up though? So an right, overproduction so of bilirubin, let me, so just firstly, uh, overproduction, so hyperbilirubinemia, which we sort of spoke about last week, we said that it could be the result of an overproduction of bilirubin through excessive hemoglobin breakdown. It could be impaired hepatocellular uptake. Yep. It could be impaired conjugation. It could be impaired excretion out of the liver. Yeah, so you could break that into three parts. Before the liver problem, yep. uh, intra, yep. so within the liver problem, or post-liver problem being the, and the, last the, one, which ex- I, the excretion part. Which I didn't say because you interrupted to say that, is the regurgitation of unconjugated and conjugated bilirubin from damaged hepatocytes or bile ducts. Yep. So let's just have a look. So you've got bilirubin. Yep. And if that is high in your blood. Now, are we talking about bilirubin in isolation or yeah, with these do, other tests? Yeah, just do isolation at this okay. point. So only bilirubin is high out of all these tests. Yeah, just okay. high bilirubin, yep. which you then would – expect to have jaundice because jaundice usually correlates to yeah, any kind of anything above what 15 milligrams per oh, deciliter. Oh, I thought it was three. Uh, no, I think it's 15. I think three is the normal. Uh, yeah, I think three is normal. All right. Um, so at this point in time, if your patient is yellow jaundice and you know that they have high bilirubin, you don't really know if it is a pre-hepatic, an mm-hmm. intra-hepatic or a post-hepatic cause. Okay. okay? So, um, yeah, greater than three milligrams per deciliter. Oh, that's for jaundice. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, my apologies. Not sure why I thought fifteen. Right. Was it one point five is normal then? Maybe I got my decimal plates. One point five is normal. Okay. Yeah. All right. So at this point in time, you just have high amounts of bilirubin. So you're not really sure if it's pre, post, or intra. Okay. Now, if you wanted to figure out, is it a problem? before the liver, this would be there's too many red blood cells getting killed, okay? So you're just putting too much bilirubin into the system. The liver's still working, but it just can't kind of pump it out quick enough. Mm. So what you would to figure that out, you would kind of just do the ratio of total bili versus direct bili, and there's an overweighing amount of total to direct, which just kind of suggests there seems to be much more at the front end than the back end. Does that make sense? Yeah, so basically you're saying that if you have a look at the, the ratio or the, the fraction, that if you've got less than 15% total being conjugated, yeah. it's basically telling you that most, if not all, 
of the bilirubin that's in the serum is unconjugated. And that, that's everything prior to the liver. Yeah, that's right. That's everything that the bilirubin does prior to the liver, yeah. which is a good indication, like you said, of some sort of hemolytic disorder. Yeah, so it could be, it could be a big bleed, a big hematoma, or you're just killing off a lot of red blood cells. Yeah, but it doesn't just have to be that, right? So it could be drugs potentially yeah, that's, yeah, that's, right. that's yeah. limiting yep. this from happening. Now let's jump to the bottom end. Forget the liver because it gets a bit complicated and let's look at a problem with the excretion side of things. So before before we do that, could I just sort of just highlight again what the – if you've got, again, elevated, unconjugated like – it's mainly just unconjugated bilirubin that you're picking up. Like you said, it's likely a hemolytic disorder. So that, sorry, that so low, low amounts of conjugated. Yeah, so yeah. You, you got – what did I, did I say? You said conjugated. Sorry. If basically – Everything in your serum is unconjugated bilirubin. Like you said, it means it's likely a hemolytic disorder. It could be some medications like rifampin, which we spoke about last episode, or it could be inherited genetic disorders like Gilbert's syndrome or Krugler-Najjar syndrome because both of those are caused by mutations in that UDP glucuronosyl transferase that does that. So basically all – if Again, we're talking about bilirubin elevation in isolation. There's no other tests that are elevated here, just yeah. the bilirubin, and it's all unconjugated. It's everything leading up to these things. So this is where the issue is. Yep. Now are you talking about what happens if mainly it's conjugated that's yeah. elevated? So let's just jump the the intrahepatic causes of jaundice and we will look at the extrahepatic causes of jaundice. So this is a problem with the excretion side of so this is kind of the biliary excretion problem. So because at this point it's all direct because everything you put into the biliary tract from the hepatocyte has been conjugated, okay? So it can't get into that biliary pipe unless it's been directly or it's been conjugated, okay? So if you have high amounts of bilirubin in your blood, plasma, and the majority of it, you know, like 50, beyond 50%, up to 70 if not more, um, is direct. It's telling you that there's a blockage in the pipes and it's coming back up, spilling through the hepatocyte into the blood or into the lymph and then you're picking that up. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if there's a huge skew the other way, then it's telling you that's an excretion issue. Mm. So it's a post-hepatic problem. Now when you go to the intrahepatic, then it becomes a lot more complicated because – there's a lot of things that could be going wrong in the hepatocyte which could affect it to be more conjugated or less conjugated or a mixture of both. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that becomes a bit more messy. But yeah. I think if you look at those two distinctions from the pre and the post, it's a good starting point to then figure out other further parts of the tests. Yeah, and I think well, we may be confusing people as well because we started off by saying – elevated bilirubin in isolation. But what Matt was just referring to with post-hepatic, you're not going to have bilirubin elevated in isolation. You're going to have bilirubin elevated with other aspects yeah. of the LFTs. Which so, we'll, get to, we'll, we'll get to now. I guess. So that's, that's our fault. But before we finish, again, let's... So if we are just looking at isolated bilirubin being elevated without any of the other LFTs, so ignore... Post-hepatic. So ignore what Matt said about the – we'll get back to that, but ignore what Matt said about the some sort of blockage or whatever in the in the biliary system. Like I said, that's going to 
correlate with other elevations in LFTs. But if you just have elevated bilirubin, we said what happens if it's mainly unconjugated bilirubin, said it's mainly hemolytic disorders or some genetic disorders. Um, But if it's mainly conjugated that you're finding, and again, no LFTs elevated here, it's likely going to be inherited disorders in the liver, which we spoke about in the last episode, which is Dubin-Johnson syndrome, which is a problem with exporting the conjugated out. So that means that it can't be exported out of the liver into the bile. It gets ex- it basically accumulates in, and bleeds off into the serum. Uh, or rotor syndrome, which is a mutation with reabsorbing that conjugated back through the portal circulation back into the liver again, if that can't happen, it just bleeds out into the serum and then stays there. So that's in isolation. But then, like Matt said, if you've got some sort of blockage in the bile or biliary system, then obviously that's going to release a bunch of other enzymes due to issues in that biliary system. But we'll get to that when we move forward. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay, what do you want to talk about now? Well, we could now move on to, I think, the start to look at the enzymes that could be dysfunctional and what could cause them to be dysfunctional. So, d- If there's a biliary issue. Oh, we could do those if you want. Yeah. Yep. So, the, so the next one would be alkaline phosphatase then? Yeah. Okay. So alkaline phosphatase is an isoenzyme, or at least they are isoenzymes. There's no one alkaline phosphatase. Um, widely distributed throughout the body. So they're in many tissues. The major source of ALP in adults is in the liver and the bone. Mm-hmm. And so in the liver, ALP is mainly found in the canalicular membrane of the hepatocytes. So when yeah. we're talking about the hepatocytes, I said there's the bile ducts or tubes on one side of the hepatocyte and the, and the portal or blood, I should sinusoid. say, sinusoid, yep. blood side. Yep. So we're talking about the bile side of the hepatocyte. So this is where these alkaline phosphatases are made is on that bile side. Yes. Uh, What does ALP do? So basically, I don't know what it doesn't, (laughs) yeah, I don't know what its main function is. And when I say we don't know, no one knows. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We have no idea what it does. Okay. Yeah. All right. So do you want to discuss why it might be high? Um. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to also say that because it's found in liver and bone that you need to just be careful that maybe if it's elevated, is the elevation because the hepatocyte or the bile ducts have an issue, right? Because of that's where it's produced. Or is it because it's elevated because there's some issue in the bone? Yes. And we can talk about how you could differentiate that in a second. Yeah. So the main reason that I came across on why our ALKFOS or ALP would be raised is that if you have increased amount of bile acids within the hepatocyte, it will start to make this enzyme increased in activity. So as a hypothetical, you spoke about the canicular side. So this is the excretion side. If there was a blockage at any point along this way, which caused bile to come back up, and then kind of spill into the hepatocyte, this would cause the ARCFOS or the ALP to start to be made in the hepatocyte. And then ultimately... And we don't know why. Ultimately what would, that would do is then it would spill across into the blood and that's where you can pick it up. Yeah. So it's a fairly good indication that there could be an obstruction in the biliary yeah. side of things in the liver. Often termed cholestasis. So if that goes up with the direct bilirubin, 
it's giving you a good indication that there could be an obstructive form of liver issue. Yeah. Now, to like you said, but ALK-FOS isn't specific to the liver. No. You could find it in bone. bone and you could also placenta, so it can go up in pregnancy. Now, if you wanted to confirm that, so as a hypothetical, if you did a test and ALK-FOS came back high and you wanted to be sure that it was a liver-specific problem, then you would do the other enzyme, which is GGT. Yeah. Or and GGTP it, can be called. And if that's and kind 5NT. Of, and 5NT. 5 prime nucleotidase. I'm not sure about the 5NT because I haven't come across that one. It's basically the same as – as in it does the same thing for us here in this test as GGTP. Okay. So you can talk about them as one if you like. So the GGTP, that is also an enzyme that's made on that same membrane with ALK-FOS. So that will also be sensitive to a high exposure of bilirubin acid. So a bile acid, should I say. So if that starts to build up, then you would expect ALK-FOS. But it's not found in the bone. No, that's right. And so if you see both ALK-FOS and GGT go up together, that's telling you, oh, you're, sh- you're more sure that it is a liver-specific thing. But yeah, the GGT in it just by itself doesn't really tell you too much. You use it to clarify. Its clinical use is to clarify an isolated elevated ALP. So if the ALP is high, you're like, oh, okay, ALP, ALP is high. Maybe there's a biliary obstruction or issue. However, it could be a bone thing. Let's check the GGT levels or the 5NT levels because they do the same thing. And if they're high, you go, okay, it's not the bone. Yeah. Right. If they're low, you can go, maybe it's the bone. Because adolescents, for example, their ALP levels are twice as high as that of adults okay. because their bone growth is constantly much higher going. Yeah. So, And so certain diseases like pageant's disease or um, maybe meta- metastatic cancers in the bone um, could cause that. Yeah. Alcohol. Or recent fractures could cause... Um, I think it's to do with osteoblast activity. Anything else for ELK-FOS, GGTP or 5NT? No. Okay. No. Amino transferases. This is AL, AST and ALT. Uh, basically, these are produced in the liver. They're very sensitive markers for acute hepatocellular injury, so liver injury, and acute, so short-term as well. Now, ALT and AST, I'm going to tell you what they do. Who cares, basically, but I'm going to tell you anyway. They transfer the alpha amino groups of alanine and other amino acids. Aspartate? uh, Aspartic acid, yep. To the alpha keto group of ketoglutaric acid. So everyone's going, what does that mean? Okay, in the Krebs cycle, there's a whole bunch of intermediates, one of which is going to be that ketoglutaric acid or alpha ketoglutarate, right? That's an intermediate. It can produce glutamate, so you can take alpha-ketoglutarate and t- produce glutamate, which is an important neurotransmitter. And you do that through ALT and AST, right? And, but you also need B6 as a coenzyme to do this. For ALT? Uh, well, you actually need B6 for the transfer, oh, okay. but you also need B6 to synthesize ALT and AST, mainly ALT, because okay. that's going to come into play in a second with alcohol-induced and blah, blah, blah. So AST, A-S-T, that is found in the cytosol and mitochondria. It's wi- AST? AST, okay. widely distributed through the body, so it's not just the liver. But ALT, think the L for liver, right? And S, do you want to know what S is for? Uh, system? Strided muscle. 
Ah, okay. So AST is found not just in liver, but also striated muscle in high levels. But ALT so is that heart and skeletal, skeletal muscle. muscle. Yeah. Um, the ALT, think liver, it's mainly found in the cytosol of the liver. So it's by far in highest concentration in the liver. And therefore ALT is the best indicator of liver injury compared to AST. Now it's important that their level of elevation, so both ALT and AST, their level of elevation in serum does not indicate the extent of the liver injury. Okay. All right. They can give indications, but you can't just look at that and say how bad the liver is injured. Um, the accepted values are in units and for men it's the so the normal values are under 30 units per litre for men and under 19 units per litre for women. But they can be elevated in all forms of liver injury, right? So levels up to 300 units per litre. So I said normal for men, for example, you or I, 30 units. Levels above 300 units are non-specific. So you can't say, oh, we've got this type of liver injury or okay. this type. Yep. But if you take that into consideration in the context of your patient and you know the background of the patient in regards to what have they have, what medications are they taking? Have they had anything to drink? Do they have hepatitis? You know, all these mm. types of things. Mm. You may be able to get a particular diagnosis or at least help aid your diagnosis. If it's greater than a thousand units per liter, it may be so vi- really high, really high. It may be viral hepatitis A to E. Yeah. I found when it's, this range, it's yep. it's more likely to be acute. Okay, like so, me. So, more of a short term change. Okay, rather you're than making cr- a short joke now. <laughs> yeah, rather than chronic. Okay, so it's very short. Uh, Again, acute, like me. Thanks, man. Acute, acute inflammation. Right. Okay. So things that would cause inflammation to the liver extensively mm. would bust it up to this level. Right. So toxin induced. Liver injury, so ischemic hepatitis. So if a patient did a paracetamol overdose, yep. then these two enzymes would go rocket through the <laughs> roof because they've just – every hepatocyte who's trying to metabolise that paracetamol is now significantly irritated and inflamed wow. or potentially dying. Mm. And so all these enzymes are now going through the roof. Okay. And so, as you, and also as you said, the hepatitis, but probably in a, an acute mm. rather than this long chronic standing, and yeah. ischemia too, right? Yeah. So if the the livers run out of blood, so yeah. if it was a, to feed it, yeah. So if the patient had a degree of shock or some big clot or something, and it wasn't being remember fed. when we say shock, we don't mean scared. Can I tell you? I do you remember this. We got asked, Matt and I do eight, uh, radio all the time, right? And we went to do an episode on shock. Now, you weren't available to do it. And so I had to do the episode on shock. The host thought I was talking about being scared when I'm talking about the medical okay. definition of shock. We did not know that each of us would. We're talking about their own definition of it until maybe 10 minutes into the episode when everything I was saying, they were going, right, right, right. So, so when, so when that person gets really scared, 
this is happening. And I thought they were talking about like sympathetic nervous system, changing the way the blood flow is happening. Cause I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, sort of. Da, da, da. And then I realized 10 minutes into it, I'm like, right, you think I mean being scared, but I don't. I don't mean you nearly get hit by a bus and you're like, oh, I'm in shock. I'm talking about the medical definition of shock where your blood pressure's gone low. Mm. And they went, oh. Okay, but we had like two minutes left of the episode and that was it. It was the one of the worst ones I've ever done. So there you go. Make sure you uh, don't take something that has a colloquial meaning and assume that you, they the think- person knows it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. At that 1,000, greater than 1,000 units, <clears throat> like you said, toxin-induced damage, ischemia, to a lesser extent, it could be some acute biliary obstruction, like a stone, but- like you said, mainly acute toxic or ischemic events. Another point with the AST-ALT is the ratio. Yes. Yes. So the ratio of AST to ALT can be helpful, mainly in alcohol-associated liver disease. So the ratio of AST to ALT, do you know what it would be that gives you a really good indication of alcohol-associated liver disease? Uh, Two to one? Around about – well, if if it's two to – if the ratio is two to three – AST to ALT. So what you're saying is in the blood, normally there should be a one-to-one ratio between AST and ALT. Yeah, approximately, yeah. But if it's skewing more AST. Yeah, two to one or three to one. um, And they're still both up, but it's just markedly more in the AST. Then it's suggesting the alcohol. Alcohol Alcohol-induced or alcohol-associated liver disease. And the reason why this is the case is because The AST is higher than the ALT because of what we mentioned earlier. Vitamin B6, right, which is peroxidine, um, it is a coenzyme called peroxidal phosphate. And its job is to help take the alpha amine groups and transfer it on those ketoglutarates, right? It does that transfer, right? I said that job. But the B6 helps that. But it also helps if their levels, if the B6 levels are high, ALT will be more highly synthesized. So vitamin B6, the point I'm trying to get is that ALT synthesis is dependent on vitamin B6. And when you drink excessive amounts of alcohol, vitamin B6 plummets through the floor. Right. So ALT levels go down. And that's why AST to ALT levels are higher due to alcohol. And there's one other reason or hypothesis for why it might be high. Why is that? 80% of AST is found in mitochondria. Oh, yeah. Within the hepatocyte. Now, alcohol irritates or ethanol irritates the mitochondria. So more spills out of the mitochondria, therefore it goes into the blood. Oh, so as opposed to pushing down the ALT, the alcohol might be pushing up the AST because it's spilling out of the mitochondria. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And the other other cause of a high AST um, proportionally is cirrhosis. And part of the reason for that is... Cirrhosis is this long, long, long-term chronic inflammation of the liver. Mm. And as we know with chronic inflammation anywhere, what the, what the body tries to do is fix the tissue by making scars. collagen scars. Yeah. So it, fibrosis of the liver, which is cirrhosis, which I, just, I think just means cobblestone. So it looks yeah. like these stony formations in the liver. And one of the big problems with cirrhosis of the liver is that the the blood flow through the liver is quite poor and AST usually gets taken away at a quicker speed than ALT 
and so it doesn't it can't get taken away as quickly. So oh, okay. it starts to build up. So a couple yeah, of different reasons. Yeah, AST in cirrhosis is usually high proportionally to ALT. There you go. But it's also important to say that AST and ALT, you know, elevated levels of these two aren't just indications of liver disease. So, for example, certain medications can boost them up. So it's important to know that NSAIDs and antibiotics and statins and anti-epileptics, right, they can actually artificially boost up AST and ALT. But you can easily determine if it's the medication that's the cause by Taking them off. Taking them off the medication and then reviewing the serum levels. And if they go back down, you can go, okay, it was medication induced. If they stay high, okay, there might be some liver damage. But I think before we move on, you might have some more points with AST and ALT, but before we move on, what we've said so far has been very, so with ELK, FOS, GGT, 5NT, AST, ALP, they're giving us indications of liver disease or disorder whether it's, you know, hepatocellular, so in the liver, or biliary, the tubes, or prehepatic, if it's just the bilirubin, right, in certain types. Um, but it doesn't tell you the specific cause per se, right? So that's the thing. It can give you indications but not specific causes. Therefore, they're not, like we said, they're not direct indications of specific liver function. But now we're sort of moving on to the albumin and the prothrombin time, which is a function of the liver. One of the functions of the liver is to produce albumin yes. and another is yes. to produce various clotting factors. So should we start with albumin? Yeah. So produced exclusively by hepatocytes. So no other part of the body produces albumin. It accounts for 75% of plasma colloid osmotic pressure. What's that mean? Uh, it's the sucking pressure in your capillaries. So when you're, you produce a blood pressure you know, from your left ventricle, it's 120 millimetres of mercury. That's the systolic pressure. But by the time it gets all the way down to your capillary level, that's a long way to travel. It's probably It's like 40. 30 to 50. Yeah. And so that's the hydrostatic pressure. So that's the pressure that it forces plasma out of your capillaries. Into to feed the tissue. Into your tissue. But you need to get that fluid back. Yeah. So you need to have a, a sucking pressure. And this is what the albumin does. It pulls it back in like a sponge. Because if you don't all this fluid stays off in your tissue and this would be edema mm. depending on where it is. So that's you know part of the reason why say people get swollen ankles is all this fluid stayed in the tissue and hasn't been sucked back. Yes. So if you had a person who had low albumin, mm. they could have problems with this because they're not pulling the, the fluid back in. Yeah. And the reason why is because proteins like albumin are negatively charged and we've said previously that water is attracted to charges because the oxygen has partially negative charges and the hydrogen has a partial positive charge. And that's why water goes in the direction of ions all the time because of the charge. Right. And so it's the same here because there's heaps of negative charges on the outside of proteins albumin. and albumin specifically, that water can be pulled back into the vascular tissue. And a good indication, like Matt said, if the liver is knocked off, no albumin's being produced the fluid accumulates outside of into the tissue, into the interstitia, and you get edema. So one of the side effects of liver damage is edema because there's a lack of albumin. Mm. But and, and so sorry. with albumin, um, you don't have to be concerned about high albumin levels because that's not going to be on your LFT. Yeah. It's only going to be low. Yes. And so when you look at low albumin, you don't know that it's the liver that's caused it. But very true. Three categories of it and the way you can think of it are 
osuses or osus, right? Osus. Okay. So this would be cirrhosis, that's liver. Yeah. Nephrosis, kidney, or gastrosis, gut. Okay. And so they're the three. I'm not saying that exclusively, but they're yeah. the three main categories that would cause low albumin. Okay. So because I've got I've got a couple others I can add, but go on. So if it's a problem with your gut, yeah you're not absorbing it or there's some problem with getting proteins from your diet into your Right, just poop blood. it out. Yeah. Um, liver, you've got cirrhosis, that's yeah. the osis, um, which means that it's dysfunctional. That no means synthesis. You're not making it. Or nephrosis, kidney, you're peeing it all out. So, so you shouldn't pee it out. You shouldn't pee it out because it's too big. It shouldn't go through your glomerulus. But if you start to have problems with your glomerulus – and the holes get too big because of damage. Yeah. So this right. is either nephrotic or nephrotic syndromes, yep. as an example. Um, you start peeing out a heaps of protein in your gotcha. – And so this would cause a low albumin. But low albumin on its own, again, doesn't mean anything. But then yeah. once you start to piece it together and go, oh, actually you've also got AST, ALT that's high, that's suggesting that, oh, maybe it's now a liver issue. Remember, yeah. albumin has a half-life of about 20 days. Mm. So acute liver injury – won't actually necessarily affect oh, good albumin. Yeah. It has to be a drawn-out process. That's why it's more likely the chronic things like cirrhosis. Yeah, good point. A couple of other things that regulate the synthesis, I think I like that way of breaking up into the osis, is uh, nu- nutrition regulates synthesis, osmotic pressure, so the, your, your, the pressure of the fluid can actually change how much gets synthesized, inflammation and hormone levels also as well. Um, I think it's also important to say that patients with acidies that you spoke earlier, that fluid buildup in the peritoneum, they've increased the total fluid in their body, which mm-hmm. means the relative amount of albumin per volume is diminished. And so you may get this artificially low amount of albumin in your liver function test, right. for example. Um, but in actual fact, you're not, it's not that you aren't producing the albumin, it's just diluted because of the right. acidies. So that's important to and talk I think about. when the, with these um, patients with ascites or ascites, they would present to say emergency with this huge abdomen and they get drained like a tap and each litre of fluid taken out they have to put in a, a percentage of albumin back in their blood. Oh, wow. Because then you'd have this issue. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, it's – and that could be – you know, you're talking litres and litres and litres wow. of fluid. Wow. Yeah. I've got nothing else for albumin. Yeah, I think that's that'll do. Uh, prothrombin time. I haven't got much for here. Uh, the main you want me thing, to start, or do yeah, you, want you to, go for it? All right. So, clotting is what we're referring to here. So, it's the end result of a complex series of enzymatic reactions involving factors, clotting factors, all produced in the liver except clotting factor eight, okay. which is produced by the vascular endothelial cells. Which so, I think is also in the sinusoid side. Oh. Predominantly, so so you could say liver, could say, but it's in the sinusoid endothelium. Yeah, interesting. Um, the prothrombin time that we're referring to is the measure of the rate at which prothrombin is converted to thrombin. Okay, and it's this that binds up a wound that aids in the clot. Now, this obviously the time that this take reflects the coagulation pathway and is reliant on these factors that are produced in the liver. These are factors specifically two, five, seven, and ten. Now, a prolonged... You need to do a video on this. I hate clotting factors. I've been asked so many times to do it, especially in relation to COVID because there's an issue there. Um, Prolonged prothrombin time can be due to congenital disorders and vitamin K deficiencies as well. Or if your patient's on um, 
Warfarin. Warfarin. So they need to be kept into consideration as well. Again, a long prothrombin time isn't just liver yeah. issues. It can be congenital, vitamin K or warfarin. Uh, it's most useful in cases of acute liver injury. And again, like you stated, because of the half-life of albumin being so long, the clotting factors aren't. They're immediate. Yeah. So they give a good indication of the current hepatic synthesis function. So when we look at albumin and prothrombin time, it's telling us about the liver's function to synthesize stuff, mm. which is albumin and, and the clotting proteins. So if the liver's not working well, it's not going to synthesize. And that's basically it. And that's the end of that. <laughs> like it, like it. You reckon we did a good job? Do we, do we do a summary? What do you reckon? What about the – is there any way that you can broadly group it into the, the overall causes that we've sort of identified here? Yeah, I think we can do it into three main causes. In terms of what are the most likely things, categories, causation, uh, etiological categories of why your patient – or a patient would present with deranged LFTs. Okay. So what could they be? These are my three. Yep. And again, this is not exhaustive. It's this just is three. It's just trying to pull things together. Okay. Dr. Matt's easily. LFT causes. So Go. Jaundice is one. All right. Obstructive conditions are one. Or of what? Uh, of liver issues and hepatocellular. Okay. So these are the three main causal issues. That so when you say obstructive, you mean bili- yeah. biliary tree. Okay. Okay. So let's start with jaundice. All right. So your patient presents- Is this a new podcast? <laughs> yeah, last week's. Right. Your patient presents to you with jaundice. Remind us again, what is jaundice? Uh, it's yellow. Okay. It's yellow, but has to be yellow with- Hyperbilirubinemia. Okay. All right. So if you had a patient like this that has jaundice, you can do, within your LFTs, you could do a, a few- Small, small further investigations to have an idea what it could be, okay? As I said, if it's a huge amount of total versus direct, it's suggestive that it's a jaundice cause before the liver or at yeah, least- Because it's unconjugated, hasn't got to the liver yeah. yet. All right. Or if it's a huge amount of direct yep. or a huge amount of conjugated to the total, yep. it's suggestive that it's more at the excretion level side of things. Only if it corresponds with other LFTs, yeah. which, which we specified. If it's only elevated, unconjugated, uh, elevated, conjugated, without other LFTs, it's going to be a congenital yeah, issue. Yeah, so the, in, the, the enzymes or the carriers that are trying to carry it, um, excrete it. Yeah. Okay. So that's the jaundice one. So yep. they're the few to just be mindful of. Now with the – so we'll then jump to the obstructive – Okay, because sure. the, the obstructive is problems with getting the bile out into the digestive tract. So if you have any problems in this category, so this could be something like you've got a stone along the bile uh, duct tract. or a stricter, like it's narrowing, narrowing, or there's a cancer. Yeah. Tumor you know, growth. Like in the head of the pancreas or yep. in the ductal system somewhere. So that's... What's basically happening is the bile can't get out and builds back up, back up, back up until it starts to come into the caniculi and then it spills back across into the hepatocyte. Yeah. So how do you know of obstructives? What, what would lend itself to suggest, oh, this is really, I'm thinking that it is an obstructive problem. You would see ALKFOS up, GGT up and direct bilirubin up. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Is that all right? Yep. 
And then finally, you're left with hepatocellular. So this is a problem. This one's easy. Anything that damages the liver. Yeah, so this could be the acute things, like we said, um, acute infections, uh, ischemia, or like toxins, like uh, paracetamol, or more chronic drawn out things. So this would be long use of alcohol, non-alcohol fatty disease. So that would be, you know, um, high uh, blood cholesterols or deranged cholesterol, obesity, hypertension, you know, metabolic syndrome. They would throw your liver into a, um, a fatty storing disease, which is early phases of, you know, cirrhosis. It's really the early, it's giving you an indication that things aren't well. Yep. Or you've got chronic infections of the hepatitis infections. Um, or, you know, you've got long-term irritation from the obstructions. But um, whatever the case, you're getting irritation or damage to the hepatocyte. That's right. And the big ones there would be the AST, ALT. Yeah. Okay. But then if it's if that manifests with the liver now not doing its job, you'd see derangements with albumin and the clotting proteins. Great job. What do you think? Look at that. Just under one hour. That was very well done, I think. Or it was, at least it was well done. I mean, it was good. <laughs> I think it was okay. All right. Well, hopefully those two lectures or podcasts, should I say, have worked well together. Yeah, we'll see. And everyone passes their hepatology. Yeah. <laughs> What's the study of the liver? Hepatology. Hepatology. Yeah. Not it. herpetology. That's the study of snakes. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, snakes with herpes. I'm not sure, but it's herpetologist. Anyway, hepatologist is liver. And thank you, everybody. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovic. This is Dr. Matt Barton. You can contact us via email at gubiosciences at gmail.com or Dr. Mike Todorovic at gmail.com. You can contact me on social media, again, at Dr. Mike Todorovic, and that's both Instagram and Twitter. And you can watch our YouTube channel, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical YouTube, and you're listening to the podcast. So give us a five-star rating or don't give us any at all. I don't mean don't give it. I don't mean give us zero. I mean either give us five stars or just decide to do something else. Go buy a hat. All right. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, everyone. Have a good afternoon, Michael. Yeah, you too. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.